All right, open your Bible to Zechariah chapter 9. Zechariah chapter 9. How many of you noticed that my introduction got a little long this morning? All right. Zechariah 9, let's look at verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. And I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off. And he shall speak peace unto the heathen, and his dominion shall be from sea even to sea, and from the river even to the ends of the earth. As for thee also, by the blood of thy covenant, I have sent forth thy prisoners out of the pit wherein is no water. All right, so we mentioned this morning that this passage really is a a, a problem for those who do not take the Bible literally. Because there's no proper interpretation for it if there's no future to these events. And so let's look at a couple of things. I want you to, I mentioned that between verses 9 and 10, that there is an an interval, that there's a gap. Let's look at another one. Keep your place in Zechariah, put your marker there, and go to Genesis chapter 49. Genesis chapter 49, and let's start reading in verse 10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come, and unto him shall be the gathering of the people be. And unto him shall the gathering of the people be. So, you see, this passage right here is clearly the second coming. When the Messiah comes and establishes his kingdom... He will be the lawgiver. Now, of course, we recognize that right now, right now, God is not the lawgiver controlling people in the world. But that's going to happen. So that's clearly the second coming. Look at the next verse. Binding his foal unto the vine and his ass's colt unto the choice vine. That's the triumphal entry. So keep your place here in Genesis. Go with me to Matthew chapter 21. So here in Genesis, you have a division in the middle of a verse, just like in Isaiah 61 that we looked at. Matthew chapter 21. And look with me at verse 1. And when they drew nigh unto unto Jerusalem... And were come to Bethpage unto the Mount of Olives. Then sent Jesus two disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway you shall find an ass tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them unto me. And if any man say aught unto you, ye shall say, The Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. But don't you hope that we're that way? When we have something, if the Lord has need of it, that it's the Lord's. There's no more discussion. God needs this. 
And whatever it is, if it's my time, it's my talent, it's my money, it's, it's the, my possessions, whatever it is, if the Lord has need of it, that's the end of the discussion. Because everything we have is God's. I like what someone said, that you hold everything in an open hand for God's use. That's the heartbeat behind what we're supposed to do. But let's read on. Verse 4. And all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek and sitting upon an ass and a colt, the foal of an ass. So that's the Zechariah 9.9 passage. So Matthew is telling us that this is the literal fulfillment of that prophecy. Verse 6. And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. And again, we as disciples, that's what we're supposed to do. What Jesus has commanded us. Verse 7. And brought the ass and the colt and put on them their clothes and they set him thereon. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and strawed them in the way. And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Now, Hosanna is, he, he has salvation. And that's what Zechariah says. Having salvation. That's what the name Hosanna means. And the multitudes went before saying, uh, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he was coming to the city, all the city was moved saying, who is this? And the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. So this, when we go back to Genesis now, so obviously Zechariah 9.9 is prophesying Matthew 21 because the Bible says that it was prophesying Matthew chapter 21. But if you look back in Genesis chapter 49, you have verse 10, which is the second coming. The beginning of verse 11, binding his foal unto the vine and his ass's colt to the choice vine. Then look at this. He washed his garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes. That's the second coming. So right in the middle of the verse, you have these gaps. And we're going to explain why God chose to do that in the Bible and why so many people miss it. It's very interesting. When you read that passage right there, that's why people allegorize the scripture because they look at it and they say, well, that was not literally fulfilled. It was only partially fulfilled. So it must be a spiritual truth about something that's coming. Not understanding that principle of partial fulfillment and the principle of dual fulfillment. That really helps us to understand the Bible. How many of you already, that's helping you to read your Bible when you see that God can divide when he is going to fulfill something? So it's very good. I, I really love seeing these passages like this. So hold your place here and look at, let's look at the uh, middle of verse 11. He washed his garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes. Look at, keep, keep Genesis here and look at Isaiah 61, the passage that we looked at last week. Next week is going to be so fun. You're just going to love it. All right, Isaiah 61, we're going to read verses 1 through 4 tonight. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. 
He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And I hope you have a mark right there because that's where Jesus stopped reading in Luke chapter 4. And the day of the vengeance of our God to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. And they shall build the old wastes. They shall raise up the former desolations and they shall repair the waste cities, the desolations of many generations. So remember, Israel has been destroyed over and over and over again and only a tiny portion of the land of Israel is occupied now. It's going to all be rebuilt. That's what the Bible says. And that is the, the fulfillment of Genesis chapter 49. So now go back to Genesis. I'd love to just preach this passage. There's a lot in there. Um, but go back to Genesis 49. And now look at verse 24. But his bow abode in strength, and, his, and the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. All right? So that's Jesus Christ's first coming. He was the good shepherd in John chapter 10 and verse 14. He says, I am the good shepherd. And the Bible talks about the good shepherd picking up the lost lamb and carrying him home. And that's the, that's the idea behind the first part of this verse. But then when you look at the second part of the verse, after the word Jacob, it's in parenthesis, from thence is the shepherd the stone of Israel. The stone of Israel. Now, Jesus Christ, of course, was the stone that the builders rejected. Is that right? He was the stone that the builders rejected. But you've got to see this. Look at Daniel. And you can... Uh, you don't have to keep Genesis, but go to Daniel chapter 2. So if you remember, the Bible in 1 Corinthians 10.32 says, Give none offense, neither to the Jew, nor to the Gentile, nor to the church of God. Neither to the Jew, nor to the Gentile, nor to the church of God. So there are three people groups in the Bible, and the literature of the Bible is directed to those people groups. Sometimes it's all of them. Sometimes it's individual groups within that, the Jew, the Gentile, and the church of God. We looked this morning about how the Apostle Paul was, a, was given a ministry to the Gentiles over and over again, to you Gentiles, to you Gentiles, to you Gentiles. It's very important that you have the Jew, the Gentile, and the church of God. What God wanted all, each of those groups, to understand what was coming in the future. So for the Jews, he gave them the book of Ezekiel. For the Gentiles, he gave them the book of Daniel. God even had a Gentile king write an entire chapter of the book of Daniel. So for the Jews, the book of Ezekiel, for the, the I'm sorry, for the Jews, the book of Ezekiel, for the Gentiles, the book of Daniel. And, and remember, last week we talked about how uh, Jadua took the, the book of Daniel and gave it to Alexander the Great Alexander the Great read about himself in Daniel chapters 7 and 8 and spared Israel and was kind to Jerusalem because he was written in the Bible. So the Gentile king was appeased by the book 
written to the Gentiles in the Old Testament. Very interesting thing. So to the Jews, the book of Ezekiel, to the Gentiles, the book of Daniel, and to the church of God, the book of Revelation. He wants all of us to understand what's coming in the future. So what God does here in Daniel chapter 2 is he begins laying out what the, the future of these Gentile kingdoms will be. And if you look at verse 44, it says this, And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Forasmuch as thou sawest that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it break in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God hath made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter. And the dream is certain, and the interpretation thereof sure. Isn't that fantastic? That's the stone. Look at Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1. That's the stone of Genesis chapter 49, verse 24. But if we look at Revelation chapter 4, now let me say this. Sometimes people say that it's hard to follow me in a message like this. The goal of a message like this is not for you to memorize the information. I told Simon Blackford that he had to, he had to recite all the information from this morning's sermon before he could be baptized this morning. That's not the purpose of these sermons. It's interesting. Have, you've had a good meal, and I know that you, you'll, you'll eat this good recipe, and sometimes you're trying to figure out what's in this. What's in this? And sometimes after you're done eating, you don't really remember everything that you ate. You just know that it was good and that it fed you. That's what these sermons are. What, a, a sermon like this is to teach you what these words and phrases in this passage mean and interpret them through these other passages. So you don't have to remember Genesis 49:24 ties into Daniel chapter 2 and verse 44 and that ties you into Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1. It'd be good for you to go back and get your notes and tie those cross references together. That's all good. I just want you to see the definition of these terms and how they come to be fulfilled in the word of God. And then the other thing is just read it with me. Just follow along in the Bible and read it with me, and God will help you through that, all right? So look at Revelation chapter 4, and verse 1. After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. So this, this hereafter that... Daniel was talking about with the king, this is what's going to come hereafter. The culmination of all of that takes place after Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1. Look at Revelation chapter 1 and verse 19. This is where the apostle John gives the outline for the book of Revelation. He says, write the things which thou hast seen, that's chapter 1, and the things which are, that's chapters 2 and 3, and the things which shall be hereafter. And the things which shall be hereafter. So that hereafter, do you see what we're doing? We're looking at the words of the Bible 
and understanding the time frame just by comparing those words and learning those things. So when we understand that Genesis chapter 49, but his bow abode in strength and the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob, from thence is the shepherd, that's the first advent, the stone of Israel, the second advent, the, and I gave you the wrong divider, the, the, the shepherd, of course, is the first advent. The classic example of this is that Luke 4 and Isaiah 61 that we looked at last week. Now go back to Zechariah chapter 9. And look at verse 10. And I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. And the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak peace unto the heathen. And his dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river even to the ends of the earth. Now go back a couple of books in your Bible to Micah chapter 5. Micah chapter 5, and look with me at verse 9. Thine hand shall be lifted up upon thine adversaries, and all thine enemies shall be cut off. And it shall come to pass, what are those next three words? And that day, saith the Lord, that I will, that I will cut off thy horses out of the midst of thee, and I will destroy thy chariots. And I will cut off the cities of thy land and throw down all thy strongholds. So this is obviously that day that takes place in the millennium. So Zechariah 9.10, that first part of the verse, is fulfilled here during the kingdom when God does that. Now look with me at Psalm chapter 76. You don't have to keep Micah. Go to Psalm 76. Look at verse 1. In Judah is God known. His name is great in Israel. In Salem also is his tabernacle and his dwelling place in Zion. Now remember, Salem, the, the king of Salem was Melchizedek. And the Bible says in the book of Hebrews that Jesus is a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And the thing unique about Melchizedek was he was a prophet, a priest, and a king. He's the only other person besides Jesus in the Bible. And so that's why Jesus is a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now look at verse 3. There break he the arrows of the bow, the shield, and the sword, and the battle, Selah. Whenever you see that word Selah, in music, as these were sung, that would be a rest. So a rest in music is a pause. So that's, that's what it means for music. But for prophecy, every time you see the word Selah, that's the millennial Rest. That's the thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ where Israel is at peace under the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. So this is the fulfillment of the second part of uh, Zechariah 9.10. Now, go forward a little bit to the book of Hosea. Right after Daniel. Hosea chapter 2.
And look at verse 18. And in that day will I make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field and with the fowls of heaven and with the creeping things of the ground. And I will break the bow and the sword and the battle out of the earth and will make them to lie down safely. When's this going to happen? Look at verse 19. And I will betroth thee unto me forever. Yea, I will betroth thee unto me in righteousness and in judgment and in loving kindness and in mercies. I will even betroth thee unto me in faithfulness, and thou shalt know the Lord. And it shall come to pass, when is this going to happen? In that day, I will hear, saith the Lord, I will hear the heavens, and they shall hear the earth, and the earth shall hear the corn, and the wine, and the oil, and they shall hear Jezreel. And I will sow her unto me in the earth, and I will have mercy upon her that had not obtained mercy. And I will say to them that were, that were, uh, were, which were not a people, thou art my people, and they shall say, thou art my God. And if you remember from Zechariah chapter 13, I show you this all the time, verses 9 and 10, you'll start to see that they are God's people. They, they admit that God is their Lord. They confess him, and he becomes their people. But here is something pretty interesting in this passage. Notice what he says in verse 19. And I will betroth thee to me forever. So the church is the bride of Christ. Israel is the bride of the Father. It's a wonderful picture in the book of Hosea. And what you see here is the fulfillment of what God has said will happen in the kingdom. From whether it's the Genesis chapter 49 passage, the Zechariah chapter 9 passage, this is the fulfillment of that. Go back with me to uh, Zechariah chapter 9. So one of the things that is interesting about this text, when you look at verse 10, and I will cut off from the chariot, and I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim, and the horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off. His dominion shall be from sea to sea. None of that has been fulfilled yet. There's no way that's fulfilled. So if you try and make all of this fulfilled with the coming of Jesus Christ. And that's what they have to do. They have to say that we are living in the kingdom now. And so that's a spiritual thing. He's defeated spiritually the enemies of God. Well, that sure doesn't work because the Bible in the book of Ephesians says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against uh, the rules of something in high places. I, I messed it up. But you have this spiritual battle that's going on. Now, look at this next verse. You know, let me, I do want to show you one more thing before we go there. Go with me to Psalm 72. Psalm 72. Look at verse 8. He shall have dominion also from sea to sea. And from the river to the ends of the earth. So you see that this is the same statement that you have in Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 10. From the river to the sea. Here from the sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Go to Isaiah chapter 49 and verse 6.
And he said, it is a light, is it a light thing? I'm sorry. It is a light thing that thou shouldest be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved of Israel. I will also give thee a light to the gen- for a light to the Gentiles that thou mayest be my salvation, look, unto the ends of the earth. I like what God says. It is a light thing. It's not a hard thing for God to raise up Israel and have them do this. It's a light thing for God to be able to do that. You know what that ought to do? That ought to give us faith and confidence in what God is going to accomplish. And when you look at world events, how it's all pointing toward the fulfillment of everything that God has said. The reestablishment of a nation, a people which were not a people that we just read in the book of Micah. A people that were not, now they're a people again. The nation of Israel was reestablished in 1948. It's an amazing thing how that God is fulfilling that. So now, go to Zechariah chapter 9. Let's look at verse 11. I'm going to show you some fun things from this. As for thee also, by the blood of the covenant, I have sent forth thy prisoners out of the pit wherein is no water. Now, if you don't have any other context, if there are no other passages in the Bible, that passage doesn't seem to have a whole lot of meaning. But let me show you something that's pretty interesting. So what we saw is that verse 9 is the triumphal entry. Verse 10 is the millennial kingdom when Jesus Christ does these things. And now we're going to see that this was fulfilled in the first coming of Jesus Christ. So keep your place in Zechariah. Go to to Genesis chapter 37. Genesis chapter 37. And look at verse 24. Well, let's look at verse 23 for the context. Genesis 37 and verse 23. And it came to pass when Joseph was come unto his brethren that they stripped Joseph out of his coat, his coat of many colors that was on him, and they took him and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty. There was no water in it. So they took Joseph and they threw him in the pit. They told his father that he had died and they sold him into slavery. And Joseph is the greatest picture of Christ in the Old Testament. When you look at Joseph, everything about Joseph's life that is communicated in the Scriptures is a, is a foreshadowing of who Jesus would be and what he would do. So you say, wait a minute, this pit where no water is, do you remember when Jesus Christ died on the cross and he said, on the cross, he said, I thirst. I thirst. And what happened then? Pretty interesting. Look with me in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2. What is Zechariah 9.11 talking about? Acts chapter 2. And look at verse 27. Uh, Look at verse 25 for the context. For David speaketh concerning him, that's Jesus. In verse 24 it says, Whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Now look at this. Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope. 
because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to seek corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Then let's go on. Verse 29. Men and brethren, let me speak. Let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David. So that's the father, David. He is one of the fathers of, of Israel. The patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. So this text, the Apostle Peter is letting us know that David's prophecy was of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he would not leave his soul in hell, he would not stay in the pit. So now, look at this. This is, this is pretty cool. So Joseph, as the greatest type of Christ in the entire Old Testament, this is a picture of Christ descending into hell after shedding his blood on the cross. And what the Lord is doing is he's going down to lead a jailbreak. That's what's taking place. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. We looked at this in the Sunday school hour this morning. But I didn't make reference to this. To so go to Ephesians chapter 4. What happened when Jesus went into the pit? Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 8. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive. There were some captives there. Do you see that? And gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it? but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth. He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. So Jesus Christ, when he died, what did Jesus say? They, they came to Jesus, the Pharisees came to Jesus, and they said, um, prove to us that you are who you say you are. And he said, there'll be no sign given, but the sign of Jonah the prophet. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the, of the whale, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights, listen to what the Bible says, in the heart of the earth. In the heart of the earth. Here the Bible says that he descended to the lower parts of the earth. And what some people do by allegorizing the text and not taking the words literally, they say, well, that just means the grave. That just means the tomb. Well, I've been to Jesus' tomb. It's not in the lower parts of the earth. You walk into it. It's in the side of a mountain. This is talking about something completely different. What is he speaking of? Well, the Bible says, Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive. Now look at what the Bible says in 1 Peter. Go to 1 Peter chapter 3. Look what the Bible says. 
Verse 18. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust. Remember, that's what the Bible says in Zechariah 9, 9, that he's coming, your king is coming, just. He is just, all right? For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened, made alive by the Spirit. Now look at what the Bible says. By which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison. Unto the spirits in prison. So what, what is going on here? When Jesus Christ was on the cross and they had the one thief mocking him and the other thief said, we deserve to be here. He doesn't deserve to be here. And the thief looked at Jesus and said, Master, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, this day you'll be with me in heaven. Is that what he said? What did he say? Paradise. So paradise was in the lower parts of the earth. It's also in Luke chapter 16 called Abraham's bosom. And in Abraham's bosom, there was a great gulf fixed, but they could see those that were in torment. And the rich man is in torment, and he sees Lazarus in paradise being comforted. And he, he can actually communicate with Abraham across this great gulf. The Bible calls where Abraham was paradise and where the rich man was hell, the lower parts of the earth. What God did, what Jesus did when he went into that pit was he led captivity captive. He led captivity captive. There were captives there. And why were they there? Their sins, those Old Testament saints, their sins had been forgiven but they had not yet been paid for. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. So something had to happen. The Bible says, for this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead. To them that are dead. And do you know what happened when he preached and he led captivity captive? Look at... Um, Look at Matthew chapter 27. Let me say this. There are, obviously there are things, many more things could, that could be explained along the way in this. And uh, those of you who might not know some of the places where, we go, where we're going. That's why discipleship is such a blessing. Your disciple can help fill in some of those gaps that we would be here for hours and hours if we uh, covered it all. So Matthew chapter 27, look at verse 52 and verse 53. So Jesus quoted Isaiah 61. Let's, let's make sure that we have that. So hold your place here in Matthew 27 and go to Luke chapter 4. And look at verse 18. So in verse 17, and there was delivered him the book of Isaiah. He opens it in verse 18. The spirit of, the, he reads, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. 
He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives. Do you see that? And recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it to the minister. Now, when Jesus Christ died on the cross and he went to paradise, remember it says, thou shalt not leave my soul in hell. We looked at that in Acts chapter 4. And he goes and he preaches the gospel to both of them. This is what you missed and this is where you're going. And he led captivity captive. And when Jesus Christ led captivity captive, he took those from paradise with him to heaven. There was evidence on earth that he did that. Matthew 27, let's look at it. Matthew chapter 27, look at verse 52. Oh, let's look at verse 50. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, <clears throat> yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. When Jesus Christ rose from the dead, during that time, he led captivity captive, and so the whole world would know. People got up from the grave and walked around and lived. That's an amazing thing. Here, here's, here's what, I just don't believe that happened. If he can make everything, this is nothing for him to do. If he can, re, if he can create life in the first place, raising people from the dead is no problem at all because he knows the code. Praise the Lord. It's so interesting when you see this happen. That's what's going on in Zechariah verses 9 through 11. Verse 9, the triumphal entry, that's the first advent. Verse 10, the second advent and the millennium. Verse 11, the death, burial, and resurrection. That's the first coming. And they're all there right there together. And that's what messes up the scholars who, rather than just taking it literally and believing it as it is written... They have to spiritualize it because they can't fit it into their own theological system. We are always better believing the Bible. What's so interesting, can you imagine being the prophet that wrote all that down? Here's what the prophets were thinking. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1. Look at verse 9. <clears throat> Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow unto whom it was revealed that it was not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. When an Old Testament prophet wrote, he often wrote about the victory and defeat of Christ right together and often 
in the opposite order of what would take place. When he finished writing and read what he wrote, he couldn't make any sense out of it because the glory and the shame were together. Where is their glory in shame? It didn't make sense to them, but they wrote it down because it's what God had for them. And now when we look back at the scriptures, we say, oh my goodness, God had written it all down. There's a conversation in the Bible where this happens. It's pretty interesting. Look at uh, Luke chapter 24. This is Jesus Christ's commentary on that belief system that the Jews had imbibed. So he meets some of his disciples on the road after his resurrection. And it's so funny. If you look at verse 18 or verse 17, And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that ye have one with another as you walk and are sad? So uh, two disciples of Jesus, they've just left. Jesus has been crucified and they're sad. And one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answering, said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem, and hast not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? Look, I love what Jesus said. And he said unto them, What things? Jesus had a sense of humor. It is so funny, what things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. Now look at this. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. What what happened the third day after those things were done? The guy they're talking to got up and walked out of the grave. It's such an interesting thing. It was all there in the Old Testament. We know that because look down at verse 25. Then he said unto them, Oh, I'm sorry you guys are having such trouble. No. Then said he unto then he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Look, suffering and glory, they're together. Remember that Philippians 2, Jesus took on him the form of a servant. He died on the cross. Wherefore God hath also highly exalted him. Death, suffering, and glory. See, no man would put that combination together. This was the plan of God. Verse 26 again, Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. It was all there. It was all there written in the, Holy, in, in, in the Old Testament. The first coming, the second coming, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. But you know what was not there? The church. The church is not referenced in the Old Testament. That was a mystery, and we looked at that this morning. Why did God do this? Why did God mix these two things together? Why did he intermingle the two advents, sometimes putting them in reverse order? Well, he did that 
Because what you read in the Old Testament about Christ's two comings depended on what the Jews would do with him when he came. Now, of course, he had to be crucified. Sin had to be paid for. So Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53 had to be fulfilled. All of that's in there, so it had to take place. But when Christ rises from the dead, you've got a problem. The Jews get a second chance to get it right. What did Jesus Christ say on the cross? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And he rose from the dead, and he walked around with them. And then he ascended to heaven, and then his apostles preached for the first seven chapters of the book of Acts. Go to Acts chapter 7. You have the sermon of Stephen. And the book, of, th- this sermon by Stephen to those Jews in Israel, it's just an amazing recounting of the history of the Jewish people from the Old Testament and how Christ fulfilled those prophecies. And in verse 51, Acts chapter 7 and verse 51, he says, Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost. As your fathers did, so do ye. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before the coming of the, do you see the two capital words there? Just one. Of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers who have received the law by the disposition of angels angels, and have not kept it. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, this is Stephen, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus seated at the right hand of the Father. This is the only time you have that. Every other time you see Jesus, he's seated at the right hand of the Father. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. What happened? This was their last chance. Jesus would have come and established his kingdom. There would have been no church age. There wouldn't have been a need for it if Israel had just received their Messiah. And ultimately, there would have been no need for a tribulation period. I said that wrong. There would have been the return. Christ would have established his kingdom. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. There would have been immediately the tribulation and all those nations would have come to him. And then he would have established the kingdom. There would have only been seven years until the kingdom came instead of thousands of years in the church age. All they had to do was receive it. Paul's gospel was Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures that he was buried And that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That message is not preached in Acts chapter 2. That's not the message of Acts chapter 2. Let's go back. We read it a few minutes ago. We may have read it this morning. Repent, verse 19. Acts chapter 3 and verse 19. Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. Do you see that? That your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the Lord. This is all the millennium. This is all that if you'll receive your Messiah... He'll come. He'll do this. The church age didn't have to come. But the Jews rejected him. Why did God present the information back and forth like that in the Old Testament? Because the way it would be fulfilled depended on Israel. It's an amazing thing the way that God wrote the scriptures. It's an amazing thing.
Now, let me just finish up with this. When people read passages like Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 through 11, and you see the first coming, the triumphal entry, and then immediately following you have the millennium, the return of Christ in the millennium, and then it goes back to the suffering of Christ and what Jesus Christ did while he was in the grave. When you have that information like that, what that does is it will cause people to stop studying the Bible because they don't understand it. But if they would study it, by comparing the words and phrases of Scripture to the other words and phrases of Scripture, God unlocks the meaning of it. But the thing that's amazing about the Bible, the thing that is so supernatural about the Bible, is all of those Old Testament passages could have been true if the Jews accepted him or if they rejected him. How do you write that many specific prophecies that can be fulfilled either way. Do you understand how amazing that is, that God did that? That's the Bible that we're studying. That's the word of God that we're studying. And when everything that the Bible predicts happens, everything that, that was predicted about his first coming happened, we're going to look next week at the triumphal entry and his prophecy, this prophecy of the triumphal entry, and all that Jesus did to see that it was fulfilled specifically, every detail. It's an amazing thing. That's the same God that has predicted your future. The Bible says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Bible also says, But the fearful and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and whoremongers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Heaven and hell are corresponding opposites. Jesus Christ wants you to be with him and to have a wonderful, a wonderful existence both now and in eternity. That's the choice that we all have before us. And you might say, well, you know what? I just don't believe that. I don't believe that choice. Well, that's what Revelation 21.8 says. But the fearful and unbelieving shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone. See, here's the thing that, that we have to understand. Belief is a choice. Belief is a choice. Now, you can believe based on good evidence. The, the Bible has been proved over and over and over again to be true. The, the, get a science book from 50 years ago and compare it to your Bible. Those people that were criticizing the Bible 50 years ago, their science book, how much in that science book is still true? Yeah, good luck. And the Bible has remained true about science, about archaeology, about history, and about the nature of mankind, and has also prophesied specific details that have been fulfilled that only God could do. What the Bible says about your future is sure. What the Bible says about your future is true. It's absolutely true. Well, I just don't believe that. But the fearful and unbelieving. What did Stephen say? Ye stiff-necked people and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken unto you. Man cannot live by bread alone, 
but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. God has given us all the information we need. He gave us all the information and then he gave himself. That triumphal entry was not very triumphal for Jesus because they took him and beat him and nailed him to a cross. Why did, we, why did Jesus allow that to happen? So that we can have eternal life. I can't believe in a God that would judge the world. Well, then you don't believe in a righteous God. When a crime goes unpunished, you say, where's the justice? And then when God brings justice, you say, I can't believe in a God who would bring justice. How many of you see that that might not be very logical? He's a God of justice. He's the just one. And because of his justice, he knew sin had to be paid for, so he came and paid for it. Himself. He paid for it so that we don't have to. And all you have to do, you don't have to pay for it. You don't have to sacrifice for it. All you have to do is believe it. That's it. Just believe it. And if you'll do that, you can have eternal life. And if you don't, you'll have eternity to remember the opportunity you had to come to a church, have a preacher take you through the scriptures and show you what God had said and give you the opportunity to believe. You'll remember it throughout all eternity. I mentioned the, the account of the rich man who died and he was woke up in hell in torment and he saw Lazarus and Lazarus had been a beggar, poor, had a horrible life. But he loved God, and he was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. And the rich man looked at, Lazar, looked at Abraham and said, Abraham, Abraham, send, send Lazarus to dip his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I'm tormented in this flame. And Moses said, no, there's a, I mean, Abraham said, no, there's a great gulf fixed between us. And he said, well, then send him to my, my father and my brothers so they don't have to come here. Listen to what Abraham said to him. They have Moses and the prophets. If they hear not them, if they believe not them, they won't believe if one rose from the dead. People have the Bible. They also have the resurrection of Jesus Christ. A proven historical fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. It's all, in all kinds of extra-biblical sources. You can look at histories of Rome that were written at that time. And they said, there's this Jesus. He rose from the dead. It's a historical fact. And all you have to do is believe. That's all you have to do is believe. But you might be like the rich man. You might be the one who won't believe even if one rose from the dead. Is that the saddest thing you've ever heard? Here, here's what you have to do to go to heaven. I believe. Jesus, I believe. So you died for me. I, I, I accept that. Thank you. Forgive me for my sin. I accept that. I believe that you are God, that you died for my sins, and that you rose from the dead. I believe that. That's it. And people say that God is not just. What? could be more simple than that. Amen? 
We can go through all these complicated things like we looked at tonight, the millennium or the first coming, the second coming, the death of Christ, all of those things. And I love studying that, but none of it is more important than the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for our sins, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. If we'll believe that, then we can be saved. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Lord, I know tonight's lesson was a little convoluted and probably not delivered very well. But Lord, we believe your word.